Well, hello again. Uh, hi. <laughs> we started recording and then we... But, um, yeah, we're living in a kind of rearranged world in every way right now, including how you and I are speaking to each other. Yeah. Um, I So, you know, this living the questions um, thing is about not being scripted and it's about honoring um, questions especially the questions we can't answer that it would be actually an affront to the questions themselves and what they what the reality that they convey yeah to um, posit an answer or an opinion mm-hmm. and and that and so we decided to um you you are my my beloved and esteemed colleague um and you are an african american man and you sat at the feet of vincent harding and have learned from some of our great elders and um and we're in ferguson and you've been in many many places for which and in which what's happening now in american cities um is in, in other American cities, too, is more familiar. And, of course, there's nothing new. That's part of the problem. There's nothing new. There's, there's, a, revel- there's a revealing, maybe, and, and maybe, maybe um, a new light being shone. But it's something coming to the surface, again, that's been there. So when we've been having, we've been having editorial conversations all morning, and we've been interacting with people online and in our audience, in our listening community, and really kind of um, coming to the conclusion that mostly we have questions and uh, deciding to be transparent about that. And I was just reading through um, on social media, Siri had put out a call to ask like people how we can accompany them. And, you know, and it's, it's questions. And and including the question of why, like how you know how can this be happening? And then something really interesting to me was that there's a woman who identifies as a a black woman, the wife of a black man, the mother of three black children, and she said all she wanted right now was silent. That her mm. favorite show of us is the Gordon Hempton show. Mm. So, I guess a question, kind of an anguish that rolls around for me, is. It's not even. It's, it doesn't even. It's not even enough for a question. It's like the inadequacy of everything that's been done, and all of my best motivations and desires, and um. I guess maybe I thought maybe I'm thinking that what I'd like for you to do. And, and, you know, I think people feel helpless and they feel outraged. Um, one of the things Resma Menicum said in the conversation that I, that I had with him that, that we were just putting on the air is that is how destructive it is when he gives one of these workshops and a, a white woman starts crying. Mm. <laughs> that is so useless. Mm. Um, so, okay, I've just talked a lot, but I think, <laughs> I think the question 
I, I guess I would like for you to help me think through what are the what are the real questions, not just to be asking, but to be living. Huh. Well, I I appreciate a a, a lot of what you just um, reflected on, and and I and I feel that there were a couple of questions there that that had resonance with me. Um, one is this notion of, you know, I I was uh, th- this notion of you know what what more can be said in a moment like this? I mean, when, when, you know, when first Ahmaud Arbery was, was killed and then George Floyd, I mean, I, you know, there's, there are these calls for people to say something and there's this, this impulse to say something. And yet at the same time, I kept feeling like there was, I mean, what new is there to be said? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, like I, it's it's all been said before, and and by people more eloquent than I, and and people with more capacity than I have to speak, and 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 I and I and I, and I just, you know, I think that's a part of the grief is the idea that, you know, I think about the. The, the idea that it needs to be said that black lives matter, you know, like that, right. like it's, it's sort of an annoying thing to, to have to say because it's yeah. sort of, it's such a, it, it's not, it, you know, for me, if I'm going to reflect on, on, on black life in the relationship to the United States and the history of our country and the building of our country and the functioning of our country, we we much more than matter we we are essential right. <laughs> we are uh, we are critical we, we we don't just matter we don't just just mm-hmm. just make a difference and so there's a way in which like this violence this consistent dehumanization is is so self-destructive for the country as a whole and yeah. the fact that we have lived with such self-destruction is insane um and so the the impulse to seek silence is one that also resonates with me and uh because it i you know there's there's a way in which i i relate to the rage and the frustration and the anger and also just to the the feeling of of what 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 is necessary what will it take i think to go back to the question that you that you asked i think that we this is a this is a brilliant opportunity for us to think deeply think profoundly think without limitation think with bold imagination 
who who are we going to be to each other in such unrestrained ways, in such vulnerable ways? I mean, this is an opportunity for us to really, really reimagine the very structure and nature of our communities and the structure and nature of our lives together. Um, I was reflecting on the fact that, you know, during the lockdown um several European countries initiated big public work product projects. And so mm. they said, while people were at home, they're going to repave roads and, and redo the, the, the landscape and, and all of these other things are going to use this opportunity so that, so that when we emerge from the lockdown, um, you know, right. uh, things will be, things will be different, you know? And I think that we, 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 Many people have hoped for that. And so the question is, what roads do we need to pave in the midst of this, of this crisis? Yeah, that this too is the ground beneath our feet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you just used the word us. And I, um, I have been learning. I think you've actually called me out a few times in recent years <laughs> about... About throwing that word around, um, I I like to think in such a at, I like to think at a species wide level, and I and I do know I do know, and I've been thinking about this too that when history looks back on us, like when time becomes history, we will be an us, this whole thing. But I have been learning. And it hasn't, and it's been tricky. It's been hard to question my we, my us, and the privilege and the assumptions that are in it. But especially in racial terms, like what it means to be in a white body as opposed to what it means to be in a black body. I mean, just for starters. Um, I don't know. I'm just curious when you use. I don't know. I feel like maybe that distinguishing, that getting conscious of the we that one is speaking of, maybe a little bit of the work, but I actually really like it that you use the word us. Mm. (laughs) I think I trust your us more than my us. (laughs) Well, I feel like, I mean, it goes back to, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of an experienced us and an aspirational us, maybe, you know, yeah. I'd, yeah. um, you know, I think of, it's hard for me to not think of Langston Hughes's poem, you know, um, you know, where he's, you know, that America has never been America to me, you know, um, oh. I think, I think the title of the poem is America will be right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a way in which sort of the building of the United States, the way that we've kind of constructed a narrative has always been an exclusive narrative, right? It's always been a, a kind of myth that we've imposed upon people. It's also, you know, you said aspirational. It's also been an aspirational version of That's reality. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and so the choice, the choice from, you know, for leaders of, of, of black freedom struggles was to seize that aspiration and mm-hmm. try to make that us a reality try to make out of that myth something mm-hmm. real and and that is in some ways the project of of the country right and 
And the, 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 the problem there, the, the tension there is that we want to always rush that. We always want to, uh, like it, 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 it's, it becoming a we and becoming an us is actually hard work, you yeah. know, whether in friendships or marriages or, yeah. or, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, countries. And, um, um, I'm not saying that it, that it ought to be this hard. Um, it's what we're experiencing now is not, is not in any way necessary. Um, because the, the consistent and persistent killing of black men is not necessary. It's not, it's not something that we as a, as a country, as a community should have ever accepted. Yeah. Um, and yet because it's happened, it, it imposes upon us a work to do. And, um, and that's what we have to busy ourselves with. And I think that, you know, the obvious question, you know, that many people will ask then is what does that work look like? What does that work mean? Yes, I think, I, I guess like, so here I am. So I think a question that is on my heart, even if I'm not articulating it, and that I hear in what other people are saying to me and to us and all around us is where do we begin, right? Because for, the, for, there has been... Yeah. And I guess I'm not sure. Is that the right question? <laughs> is it an answerable question? Is there, a, is, there a, is there a better way to think about that? I mean, I, I, the framing that we use, I, I think, matters. And the way that we, we look at what's happening right now and the context that we, that we put it in matters. And I, I, you know, I think that if we were treating the United States as as though it were a country that just, um, in, in, you know, uh, emerged on the, on the other side of, a of, a of a, you know, ceasefire after, you know, a decades old civil war, then we would be talking about rebuilding a society. We would, we would, we would decommission the, the police forces and the, and the institutions that were involved in human rights atrocities. We would, we would we would talk about you know what institutions need to be built that that can regain the public trust we would we would envision what it would take to 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 build this country that has not yet been yeah and and i think that, i think that's the scale on which we need to be imagining we keep trying to put band-aids mm-hmm. on on something that is so fundamentally broken from mm-hmm. from from inception, that that a band aid is not going to do it, and I think we have to be brave enough to sort of reimagine what our lives would look like. We 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 can't underestimate the the entrenched power of the structures and the systems that we built to move us in a certain direction, mm-hmm. a, a, a certain dehumanizing direction, and I think that we have to ask ourselves in bold ways like. How like, what does it mean for us to be community to each other? Mm-hmm. How does that? How, how does that? If we're going to be community, what should our neighborhood look like? Yeah. Like how how should our how should our our streets function? Like what you know? Like I, we really do have to remake this country. 
And, you know, what I want to gravitate in towards in what you just said, which gives me this little sliver of hope, but I also know that, like, I tend to look for... I tend to look for where the hope muscle can be reasonably flexed. But yeah. I do feel like between the pandemic and, you know, speaking in Minneapolis, where if you're not here, all you have seen in the news are the most horrific, and there, and there, and there have been horrific scenes, none of them surpassing what set all of this off that murder that we watched right yeah but and and there's also this story that's not being shared and i have to think that this is happening in other places too mm-hmm. that's happening at a neighborhood level yeah yeah where something actually new is transpiring and I guess what I always like about pointing at that is that that is manageable, right? Like that suggests that you can actually turn in a direction <laughs> and reach out a hand or an ear um, to, in what you know rather than – because I think so often that question of where to begin suggests something that is so far beyond our capacities. And then people get paralyzed, but that yeah. can't be an excuse anymore. It can't be an excuse for not doing no, anything. No, no, it can't be. You know, it's actually, you know, Krista, you're reminding me of something because it's it's actually, you know, the 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 you know the the COVID pandemic and the racism pandemic actually, you know, they function in similar ways in a way. Like I I yeah, you know, and and our response to them is very similar. On one hand, you know, we have for a long time in the United States um, thought that you know, contrary to you know, the way biology functions, we think that we could sort of protect ourselves with our individual choices from disease. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a, mm-hmm. infectious disease doesn't, you know, it doesn't really respect your income or your, or your gated community or your, like, it, that's just not the way that viruses function. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you, if if you can't, be healthy while everyone else around you is sick and think that you will escape with your health. Right. Yeah. And, and that is the way that people have responded to racism. Right. And, you know, Andrew Young used to, uh, or I'm sure he still does often say, tell the story about his father who always described racism as a sickness. And Mm -hmm. he would always say, you don't get mad at sick people. You, 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 Mm -hmm. you try to get, you know, you, you help them get healthy. You help them get well, right? Mm. Mm. And um, and I think there's a way in which we have imagined that you know we've uh, people we've known what's been happening in our cities. I, yeah. I don't think that and, I don't. And think that, that we that's that's the we that 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 we applies to everybody. That that we applies to everybody, and mm-hmm. and it transcends. You know, I, there's a, there's a way in which, and this is, it's, you know, we can, you know, even as black people, we can opt into a sort of blindness, um, with respect to what's happening, um, in our own communities. Right. And, um, and so, you know, I'm inviting us all to, 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 a, a, an inward searching, 
Um, and, and listen, it's complicated because we do these things sometimes because we, we, we feel like, you know, we're, we're just managing to hold ourselves up, right? We, you know, we were just managing to, to, you know, get our, get our own families and our own children through schools and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, we, and that's, and that maybe that, that we feel like that takes all the energy we've got. Um, and, um, and I'm, 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 I understand that. Um, and yet, um, we can't stop there. And, and there are many of us who do have that extra capacity to yes. ask, yes, ask what's happening in, in North Minneapolis, to ask what's happening, um, to our communities, um, to ask like, why, you know, like, who is this, who is this prosecutor that's been elected, uh, uh, and, and mm-hmm. on this, you know, this, this, with this language of, of, of dehumanization and criminalization of people who are, who are poor. Like what, mm-hmm. what, you know, what is mm-hmm. this, you know, what's happening in our city? Like we, we have chosen not to participate in our democracy at times. And that willful ignorance has cost other people their lives. And there's no getting around that. Um, we have allowed ourselves to be complicit. Um, and that has to change. And it's not, it's not enough that we engage, you know, we'll say, well, I engage politics on a, on a national level, but I, I just didn't ask what was happening with my school board yeah, uh, because I don't have any kids in the school. You yeah. know, I, it's, yeah. it's not, that's not, an, that's not enough. Yeah. This really, this, this, everything that's unfolding really brings that into a relief in a new way. Um, so that question, where to begin? Either, either take it apart or start to answer it. Well, how would you answer it? I don't know. I feel really despairing about it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think one thing has to do, um, you know, in our work um, where we're talking to communities about um, you know, what it means to be in relationship with people across difference. Um, you know, you often find people that say, well, I want to, um, I don't, I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to get a training so I know how to talk to my, my starch opponent. Right. Right. Um, and so in their minds, like they feel like everyone around them agrees with them or, you know, has the same, you know, political orientation or ideological orientation towards whatever issue. And I just need to be prepared to talk to you, you know, this, this, this clear opponent of mine without losing my cool. Right. Um, and the problem with that is that it, one, is it assumes a level of homogeneity around you that is thoroughly unexamined. 
right? Like it assumes that people around us um, agree with things because we just don't have the conversation, right? With with mm-hmm. our with our with with people that are close to us. Um, and then the other problem with it is that it, you know, the thing is you you got to develop the muscles first <laughs> to to know what it's like to listen with with hospitality and to know what it means to to confront someone in in a way that's inviting and loving um and to challenge them and to invite them into the best version of themselves out of an act of love you you got to practice doing that before you can find yourself doing it with someone who is your staunchest opponent and i i guess i want to say i hope that people are having conversations with their loved ones um, about what's happening in the country right now. I hope that people aren't shying from the easy conversations, that the conversations they perceive to be easy, because I, I guarantee you that in those conversations you will find the the differences in perspectives that that ampl- you know amplified on a on a large scale um, become uh, a bigger problem. Yeah. And so I hope people will, at least as a as a starting point, use this as an opportunity to have conversations that that we've long needed to have. You know, Lucas, there was that moment where you said, <laughs> "What did you say?" If you that we have been complicit in people dying, right? Like that the choices to not pay attention have led to death. And for me that, I mean, maybe, I mean, I could have been getting that from everything the last, you know, but you said it with a clarity that became like a meditation for me. Like I'm going to walk around with that. And I felt, I feel like it's hard, but people are ready to let something hard in right now. Mm. And it, to me, that's a question that if you let it penetrate, it has to change you. And it has to, and you have to start finding really concrete ways for that change to manifest. That's how it's landing with me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, There's a part of me that would have wanted to have been more, you know, hopeful and encouraging. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. Uh, but I, it's I, like I, what you I said, we leap to that. Around. No, it's yeah. not what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>